if your student is going to live on campus, they will need twin extra long sheets. The first thing people get wrong. The first thing people get freaked out about. The majority of students who enroll in college don't graduate in four years. Is my kid going to make friends? Are they going to fit in? Are they going to find their people at college? Are they going to fail a class? Between Beth and I, we have worked in higher education for 50 years. We really think that there's some opportunity for some great dialogue. From the Pod 617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's Twin XL. Now here's your hosts, Laura DeVoe and Beth Grampetro. Hey, everybody. We are back with episode two of season two. How are we doing today? All right. Okay. So we are going to be talking about enrollment. And in the world of everybody's talking, it's admissions time. And uh, Beth brought us a wonderful guest. But before we get into introducing Emily, I want to just remind folks that if they love the show, please uh, rate and review us on your uh, podcast app. That really helps us. And if you would like to financially support the pod, which we would love, go to our website at pod617.com slash twinxl for information on becoming a twinxl corporate sponsor. So Beth is going to introduce our wonderful guest, Emily Roper. Is it Doton or Dotton? It is Doton. Doton. <laughs> it, so it sounds um, very proper. <laughs> it's two very boring British last names smashed together. <laughs> well, that's smashing. <laughs> well, I, I didn't bring Emily here. I, I did bring her here because she is not boring. One of the reasons we are having Emily as a guest is that, you know, our back in the spring of 2020, when we kind of finished out our first season, we were talking in the last episode we did in May a lot about what the fall was going to look like. So it was just a hotbed of speculation. And one of the things we speculated, it still is, this is, all of this is alleged. The speculation included, are a lot of students going to defer those who have been accepted as first-year students at colleges for the fall of 2020? Will they defer? Will they go as planned? How much does the decision by a college to be remote or not impact those decisions? So we kind of, we did some speculating back then, and now we can talk about it a little bit more in reality, which is kind of exciting. And it also has bearing on what it's like for those who are making decisions about where to go this fall. So the college class of 2025. And our guest today is Emily Roper-Doten, who is the Dean of Admission and Financial Aid at Olin College of Engineering, which is in Needham, Massachusetts. Welcome, Emily. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? I I think they'll find out some interesting things. (laughs) We can see where we go. I like it. (laughs) This is a very game attitude and I like it. Okay. Yeah. So- I have one question before we get started, and it's a very important one. Have you seen the 2013 romantic comedy Admission with Tina Fey and Paul Rudd? (laughs) And if not, why? And if so, what is your takeaway? So I actually have not watched the 2013 romantic comedy Admission for the very important reason that there's a lot of mythology around college admission that makes many of us who do the work totally bonkers. And so I was afraid I would spend most of the movie wanting to like punch a kitten or something because (laughs) of all the things that were wrong or inflated or the ways in which it portrayed admission folks. And this is actually really surprising because I have long said that 
should a movie be made about my life, I would like Paul Rudd to play my husband. So <laughs> it takes a lot for me not to watch a Paul Rudd. You want to hear a little of the trailer? Yeah. Of the movie, the just so Do people it. know what we're talking there about. We okay. Today, we begin choosing the most remarkable freshman class in Princeton history. I am an admissions officer. It's Princeton allowed this I've decided to retire, and nothing Shut would make up. me happier than if one of you could have this office next year. As a mother I myself, I know the importance so of teamwork. <laughs> and I am not a mother, but I know the importance of it too. Can you just watch the kids? Me? I'm the last person you want watching your kids. That's against the rules, Henry. Is that applesauce? <laughs> <laughs> Does it just get better from it here? It just gets better. I will tell I you, hope. it's actually a pretty good movie. <laughs> and and I have a very low th- threshold of like ability to deal with television with movies or television shows that per that in any way show a college environment. I worked, you know, like I'm still people still say, oh, did you put him on double secret probation from, you know, from Animal House? I'm like, that doesn't exist. And if it did, I sure as hell would have done that. It was a dead horse. It was a dead horse. Okay. <laughs> I just remember, and this just is pinning me in a particular period of time as to when I was in college, but a college movie that was very popular when I was a student was Road Trip. I don't know if you oh, yeah. saw that. And the thing about that movie that drove me insane was that they had a room where everyone, it was a triple room. Everyone was able to have a double bed yeah. and they had a pet boa constrictor yeah. and like none of that shit is happening. None of that I'm so stuff. sorry. I mean, that's, ridiculous. Nowadays, that's absolutely insane. Even nowadays with all of the uh, looser policies around animals and all that sort of thing, that doesn't happen anymore. All right. Anyway, so there, that's a whole <laughs> other episode. I have kept saying to Dave, we're going to do an episode where we're going to take all of these these movies that talk about college and we are going to do it dave is all over this idea and so we'll we're going to do a special and i'll have all the clips ready including that really realistic documentary i think it was called revenge of the nerds that one was factually accurate across the board it's absolutely accurate because if i was the dean of students and the jocks burned down their fraternity house i would put the nerds in the gym too for sure yeah because that's what you do (laughs) So back in May 2020, a survey of 2,800 high school seniors showed that about 33% of them said they were likely to defer or cancel their admission offer if it was conditional on attending all online college. And 95% said they would honor their commitments made to colleges that planned to reopen in the fall with social distancing measures. So they were down at the time with going back to campus, even if campus wasn't going to look the way they planned on, but they were very against the idea of remote instruction only. What came of that? Did we, did that kind of bear itself out this year? Did we see about a third of people deferring? What did you see both in your position at Olin College and then also just in the industry in general? Yeah, I think this is one of the times where what gets picked up by the media and discussed at a number of small, well-known institutions becomes (laughs) what people assume is happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I think the sort of national narrative around everyone's going to defer and the next class will have no spaces. It didn't bear out, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think for some of those students, 
they they were making the they were filling in those surveys out when they didn't have all the information and maybe mm-hmm. they were filling them out without consulting their parents or maybe they hadn't talked to a trusted adult like a high school counselor to say like what do you think I should do so I think there was a lot of uncertainty for those students and I do think that the later schools made decisions the harder it was for yep. students to say like what is this actually going to look like but we actually saw that our deferred numbers were pretty much in line with what we've seen year after year. We've had years that have been much bigger than our current deferred group. We've had years that were smaller. So we're kind of right in the middle. And I've, I I was saying to Beth earlier, I've served on a number of panels this spring with for high schools that are doing programs for their junior parents, sort of talking about the next class and their concerns in this same space about defers. And every colleague that I have been on a panel with and when talking about defers has said, we're about the same or we're a little bit up, but it's not changing what we're planning for bringing in new students. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the more important part is that many institutions are either making plans to have their class be a little bit larger in order to accommodate that bubble in the defer if they had one. Partially because also popular in the news is the pandemic was not easy on budgets at colleges, right? And Mm -hmm. so Wanting to, you know, having the ability to take a slightly larger class might actually be the most fiscally prudent thing for an institution to do. So I don't think that there should be, you know, kind of widespread panic around all the spots are taken because of defers. I think ultimately for most institutions, they were probably in a similar space. And I think those that had larger bumps and defers, probably more likely centered on your more selective private institutions. Mm-hmm. Public institutions, more regional institutions, we're not seeing the same patterns as some of those more selective schools. Yeah, I think, you know, the other thing is that people need to remember is that when, you know, going on Emily's point about how hard this has been financially on schools, schools make their money on housing, meal plans, things like that. And when you have half occupancy in your residence halls, on top of the fact that you are paying for all of these mitigation and tracking and tracing and testing and all this other stuff, as well as moving an entire academic program through a virtual learning platform above Mm -hmm. and beyond what you had before, that's money. And when you're not able to balance the books, the schools are going to be saying, all right, we're going to be less tolerant of this idea of deferring. We're going to be less idea of people, less, less tolerant of this idea of people not living on campus when given the opportunity to do so, you know, and that sort of thing. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that within the next year or so, you're going to hear a lot of conversations about my kid's school was not someplace that required on-campus housing. Now they do, you know, there's going to be some real, changes in how people run their business model to try to make up for some of this lost income. Anything else you're hearing out there about the pandemic in impacting admissions as a whole? Is the impact different at highly selective institutions? Are you hearing from you when you're sitting on panels about state schools where they might be sitting? And and what does this mean, you think, for parents and families as you're talking to folks? I know this podcast is really about students in college, but a lot of these parents may be thinking about their next kid or their <laughs> niece and nephew. And we, this is a little outside of what we usually talk about, but I think it's important because I think the landscape is changing. So, so what are you hearing as you're sitting on these panels? So I think the biggest difference impact or the biggest thing to impact admission is the lack of campus visits, you know, so recruitment for colleges 
has been has retained a stronghold on the non-digital part of recruitment for a really long time. So while many businesses were going more digital, more virtual, college admission was still in-person visits at high schools, in-person visits on campus. Nobody was traveling this fall. No one's traveling this spring. Nobody's hosting visits on, visitors on campus. I shouldn't say nobody because it's it is definitely dependent on where you are in the country, what the institution sort of risk tolerance is, what sort of protocols are, are they able to put into place for visitors. And so most admission offices have spent a significant amount of time pivoting from in-person on-campus engagements, both for recruitment in the fall and for yield, for getting those students that you admit to actually enroll in the spring and creating suites of virtual programming. I don't think that's going away. I mean, one of, the, one of the beauties of virtual programming has actually been it's in, in some ways it's expanded access for students to engage with admission folks because maybe we weren't visiting their high school. Maybe they, you know, maybe they didn't have the money to fly. And so a way to actually expand who, has, who can interact with your institution when it's not based on that physical in-person interaction. So I think a lot of us are going to be spending this spring and summer figuring out how do we actually schedule, how do we do a hybrid schedule for our staffs so that we're doing both virtual and in-person when we can. There are schools, like I said, there are schools that are open um, for visitors. Oftentimes they're tour only or they're, they're outside only. You know, there are lots of kind of restrictions, part of that related to whatever state you're in and the travel restrictions that are there, but partially related to what is the institution willing to do in terms of visits. So I think there's we're going to see a different, we're going to see the college search process become more of a hybrid experience. We're not going to, it's not going to go back to, you're going to have visited a place before you apply for the most part. From a selection and application standpoint, it's actually been eerily the same. You know, a lot of folks are thinking about many schools opted to go test optional this year. Some schools opted to go Mm -hmm. test blind this year because of the inability for students to get access to testing you know, it's not worth it for any of us who went test optional not to do it well. You know, so we put a lot mm-hmm. of thought into what does that mean in terms of selection, but the applic- reading applications itself, not that different other than, you know, some of those changes in terms of requirements. But they, both of the two major application services, the common application and the coalition application, both actually added community disruption questions. So mm-hmm. could apply to COVID, could apply to wildfires, could apply to you know, the racial reckoning in this country, you know, there's lots of different things that someone could say, this impacted my life in this way. Yeah. We're, they also provided opportunities for high school counselors to say grades went pass fail, or we didn't have grades for this part of the semester, or we had to drop these classes. And so those are having that additional information proactively provided to the schools, I think made it easier for a lot of us to context, to contextualize the student's application, not in just in terms of who are they and where do they come from, but how were their lives directly impacted by the pandemic? And I think that's great because it gives a student also less stress and strain um, on the student who's already under enough stress and strain. In our previous episode, Beth was talking about, you know, we need to give ourselves some grace. And when you actually, sometimes it's hard to give yourself grace. It's sometimes hard to give yourself some opportunity for understanding and self-reflection. But if you have a, a checkbox in front of you that gives you permission, it actually says, oh my God, I'm not alone on this. You know, and I think providing a separate question for it meant the student didn't have to go through the mental gymnastics to say, do I need to write my personal statement about this? Or do yeah. I like, what right. am I not going to say about who I am as a person? Because I need to tell you that this, this tricky thing happened in my life. A parent lost a job. Someone got ill, you know, that there are yeah. 
yeah. ways that or, people's lives have been really affected. Or is it like a TMI thing for me to mention this? And right. you, know, you put the question there and it's like, no, this is information they want. This is information that, especially in our current situation is very relevant and also very, unfortunately, very universal, yeah. even though the experiences are not all the same there, the impact is hitting everyone differently, but it is hitting everyone. I, I do have a you, follow-up, but do you mind if I jump in? Ahead. I do have a follow-up though, because Beth brings something up and it kind of jogged for me and, and your role is you have a financial aid responsibility as well. And now if students are finding, have you, has the chatter from the financial aid area been about people whose financial circumstances may have changed in the last year. And we know how with the FAFSA, it doesn't always reflect sometimes some of these immediate changes, <laughs> right? What are we, what's the banter? Tell me the banter, Emily, tell me what's going on. <laughs> so you are correct that sometimes those immediate impacts aren't reflected in the FAFSA because it's based on prior, prior year tax information, right? So it's based on not guessing on your current taxes. So it's, it's removed, it's significantly removed. What you're going to get this coming year is based on what happened two years ago, which is not actually what's happening in your actual, in your real world, right. um, in your, in that, in that immediate moment. And so a lot of schools do have appeals processes where someone can say, I have a change in circumstances, circumstance, and this is what happens or happened. Then the individual financial aid offices have the ability to go through and reassess based on the new information. Oftentimes they'll ask for some documentation. Sometimes if it's something like a job loss, there'll be conversation around, is it reasonable to assume that you'll find another position or is it not reasonable to assume that? And so the individual institution can make that choice to say, this is how we will accommodate this. We can offer you this much money or let's wait it out and see what happens for a little bit and we'll adjust later. Most schools have kind of an appeals pot of funding. I think many students this year probably found that their appeals were honored because as you were saying before, if you don't have as many students on campus, if you don't have as many students enrolled, that number might actually accommodate all of those changes that you need. So Mm -hmm. I think whenever it comes to financial aid this year for folks enrolling, whether it's continuing families, whether it's new families, opening a line of conversation with the financial aid officers is always the best, your best option. Because the worst thing that's going to happen is that they're going to say, we can't, you know, make an alteration to your package. The best thing is that they're going to be able to completely accommodate what you need. So it also depends on what the school's policy is. Are they meeting need or are they not meeting need? How much they're able to do that. If a school meets financial need, demonstrated financial need, they're more likely to be able to find that extra funding. Yeah. I really wish that that was one of the things that as we're looking at what's happening right now in higher education, I know I, Beth's heard me say this a thousand times, that higher ed moves at a glacial pace of change. And I was kind of hoping that how we do financial aid was going to move a little faster, especially in this day and age of the impacts of COVID on families and their ability to do this. And I think it's also better for the financial aid people that they're not doing 14,000 appeals. You know, I mean, this isn't just about the student. This about, I, I think of all my friends who are financial aid people and going, how many appeals are these people going to be running through this year? So that's great. So, so Beth. Yeah. So I would love to know it's getting to be time, unless there are obviously some people whose students probably applied early decision and maybe have already made choices about where they're going to go. But over the next month or so, students are going to begin hearing more from schools they applied to. And, you know, there's going to be a point, it's usually May 1st ish, but sometime, you know, in May. (sighs) 
where students are going to have to say, all right, this is where I'm going. So what, what advice do you have, or just thoughts that you might have about like making that choice this year and how for parents who are listening, like how do they help their student make the choice? What are the things they should be considering? You're right that May 1st has historically been the deadline for (laughs) enrollment deposits. And and it hasn't been 100% universal, but it is fairly common. Last year is when we saw the first sort of breakaways of people saying, how are students going to make decisions this year? We need to give them more time. So we saw a lot of schools um, extending to June 1st, June 15th, July 1st to give families a bit more time. Of course, institutions can, you know, may push back on how late that is because they have to do things like housing and registration. And there's mm-hmm. all different things that happen that can make later timelines a little bit trickier on the college side. Most are pushing it back for the sake of the families to have that time. I think one of the things that is that anyone who is already at the point of getting decisions will know about college admission is that most of the time our answer is it depends. And that's because like the beauty of having, you know, 4,200 colleges and universities in the United States alone means that there are 4,200 different people running admission offices that might have slightly different shades of how they do different things. And so I would say making sure that you're paying attention to, is it a, is it a May 1st deadline? Is it an extended deadline? Will there be visits before your deadline? What do those visits actually look like? So that you can make a good assessment of whether or not it's worth it to try to make it. Does it make sense to actually fly across the country if you can walk around with a pamphlet on a self-guided tour? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. And thinking about the interactions you may have. Can you have deeper interactions one-on-one in a Zoom room with someone unmasked than on campus, outside of a building (laughs) with masks on? And so I think... Most schools are, as I said before, kind of this pivot to how can we do as much good virtual programming as possible. I think families should be looking for opportunities in that virtual programming where they can have kind of the smallest number of people in the room. A lot of times there's big, some big programming where it's a keynote or it's someone addressing, it's a panel addressing maybe hundreds of people in a Zoom room. Mm-hmm. The student is going to have a hard time getting a sense of who are my classmates going to be in that particular venue. And so Mm -hmm. looking for the opportunities in the yield programming that make those rooms smaller, whether it's, you know, sort of a virtual, you know, pen pal, a virtual shadowing program, whether it's asking, you know, asking specifically for an individual student contact or a recent alum contact, faculty contact, And so being able to try to, not that those bigger programs aren't helpful, that can often be good to paint those big themes that you can, you can kind of get a big overall gut reaction, but is it going to feel the same as sitting in a dining hall and overhearing a conversation? No. And so how do you find the virtual experiences that are basically the sitting in the dining hall and overhearing the conversations of students that make you say, oh yeah, yeah, I can see myself here. I can relate to, to these folks. What are you hearing about orientation programs? Are you hearing they're going to be, people are probably the same thing that people are saying, we're not sure what we're going to do yet. I think there's a lot of wait and see still that there's, you know, depending on what the, what they're planning for their, their on campus at all for their, their currently enrolled population. Are they going to Mm -hmm. offer summer classes? Are they going to offer research opportunities? You know, what, sometimes those are also the people who are the student guides for, you know, student leaders for orientation. And so I think this year, similar to last year, there'll be a bit of wait and see. I am hopeful for families that it will be a little bit less uncertain. You will know whether or not there are going to be visits, right? You will, you know, Mm -hmm. you are going to know in a 
pretty timely fashion, whether you're going to do an over the summer orientation, or if some schools I you know knew last year, and I think summer planning this year where they're pushing that did summer orientations, they're doing them all later to try later. to give as yeah. much time. Virtual orientations followed up with some sub- subsequent in-person once the students are on campus. So I do think that after a year of all the caveats, <laughs> people are yeah. a little bit more comfortable with the asterisk, depending on the public yeah. health situation yeah. at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And I, I noticed that as people know, we've, we record this in the Boston area and several of the larger universities have announced that they're going to be having some sort of in-person graduation this May. So Northeastern University, Boston University have said, we're going to have an in-person. It's going to be outside. It is going to be socially distant and, and, you know, all that sort of thing. And you're going to have a cap on how many people you can invite and all of this kind of thing. But as soon as that happened and people who I knew were living around here and have students who go to school other places, they were like, do you think this is going to be everywhere? And I'm like, you need to understand something. We don't know this yet. And then some other people I know whose child is now a senior in high school is saying, do you think this means they'll have orientation in the summer? I'm like, orientation and graduation are two separate things. And you Mm -hmm. can't read into one thing (laughs) happening to say that the other thing is absolutely going to happen. But I think that there is also, and we've said this in the last episode and referred to it earlier as well, if you've already are paying for something, if we've already got something set up and we say, okay, well, if we can make this work for commencement, maybe we can do something special for orientation, or we can use this same technology, or we can use this same whatever. So get ready. But there's this idea of of we, again, with the big asterisk, as you said, we Mm -hmm. need to be mindful of that. And, you know, knowing that we've learned a lot in the last year about how we do business. You brought it up, Emily, that, you know, we're going to be hybrid in some way, shape or form, as far as admissions (laughs) is concerned, because you, you, I'm sure you have staff right now going, does this mean I don't have to fly all the time? <laughs> like, I mean, they're going to be really happy about that. Now, at yeah. this point, some of them might be like, I need to get the hell out of please, my house. Please and I send will, me I will anywhere. Literally yeah. fly every day for the next year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the yeah. road running of the first year admission officer eating granola bars in their car between school visits, never having a real meal. Like, you know, like it's, some people don't miss that. Some people yeah. miss that for sure. Right. But, but it's definitely, I love the point that you made about like what we're kind of practicing for all the things that are coming. Everything that we're mm-hmm. doing informs what we do next and how we can do that better. And so each time, whether it's a really great virtual event that we can capitalize on it for the next thing we do virtually or what we do for our first bigger in-person something gives us a little more confidence and we learn more about what we can do the next time. And so it's yeah. we're, we're kind of constantly in dress rehearsal mode right now. It feels like for the next yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think for families to think about, you know, as you're looking at, oh, the school my student decided they want to attend is having in-person commencement. Does this mean oriented? You know, all those questions. We don't know. But the reason that you're going to start, there's a couple of reasons you're going to start seeing these announcements from schools anyway, even though they come with an asterisk and a huge caveat. If they don't make a choice and 
say it out loud. They can't plan for it without sort of deciding what they're planning for. And you won't come. (laughs) They don't say what they're doing. And I think, you know, going to Emily's point, I think what some schools realized is that if they waited too long, it hit them in the pocketbook. It hit them in a lot of ways. And so Mm -hmm. they would rather be able to say, this is our plan, but please be mindful of based on public health restrictions, this may change. And so they'd rather be able to put something out with the asterisks. I, it is more interesting to me that less institutions have used this as, a, as an opportunity to really turn the coin. One of the shows in the future, I'm hoping we get one of the, some of the folks from George Washington University to come on. They just made some big announcements about how they're changing their res life program. And they have decided not to have RAs anymore. They've decided that they're going to go with more full-time professional staff in the residence halls to really deal with the mental health issues, the student belonging issues, the transition issues that really an adult needs to be handling and not an 18 to 22 year old student leader. And they're going to continue as student leaders, but they're going to have them do very specific things. And it's going to be programming and like academic tutoring and support and things like that. And I'm hoping we, we can bring someone in to talk about that. And I'd also love to talk to someone from Oberlin uh, college because they've decided to go with like a three semester, like a, they're really like breaking up the school year in a very different way. And they did that to help accommodate the social distancing needs and said, and we, and we also wanted everybody to have an on-campus experience mm-hmm. through all of this. And when the president who I heard an interview with was talking about it, she's like, actually, we like this and and maybe <laughs> we're going to keep it like, so, so I'm hoping that some schools are like, okay, yeah, we need to like this. And now that we've put the time and attention into this, we're going to continue with this in some way, shape or form, not because we're trying to penalize people, but we know this is a better way of doing business for a variety of race, which is great. But I think also that we're going to see a lot of schools who are going to try to get things back to the way they were or as close to the way they were as they possibly can. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to work for everybody. I think it depends on the school, but I think, you know, hearkening back to something I talked about in the most recent episode we recorded, it's not easy to be innovative and think of new ways to do things when you're just like (laughs) internally screaming all the time, which is pretty much what we've all been doing. And Emily, because Emily and I are colleagues, she knows what I'm talking about because it's hard to have those conversations, even though we try to say like, well, how could we be doing this differently when, you know, all of us are going, but everything is bad and I don't know what to do. And we're trying to support students through this in like what the reality is, not necessarily in our imaginations. But even though I just spent 30 seconds crapping on the idea of using our imaginations, I would like you to use your imagination for a second. If you had a crystal ball or some other fun fortune telling accessory, what else would it be? I don't know, tea leaves. What do you, what would you hope this fall would look like for the students who are starting as new students this fall or those who are returning to campus as a continuing student? Like, what do you envision or what are your sort of like wishes for how this goes? I don't, I'm a realist enough to say that I can't, I I don't think that the crystal ball is going to tell me like, everything is amazing, right? Like, everything's (laughs) going to be great. Like, it's still going to be hard, right? But there's, I've been so struck, you know, Beth knows this over the last week and a half, my team has been working on a program where we've spent a lot of time and a lot of Zoom rooms with our kind of our finalists, the students sort of right, right before we make our final decisions. 
And I was both sort of charmed and depressed by the student who said, this is the most fun I've had since COVID. And I, I felt both, I was like, amazing. What we're doing is working. We're able to showcase our community. They're getting the sense of who we are. And then I, at the same time, I had this heartbreaking sort of reality smack me in the face of what has this year looked like for these students. And so I think especially for, if I, if I concentrate first on kind of the incoming first year students, you know, I hope that they can come, they can come into their college experience with an open mind that connections can be made in lots of different ways. Right. And that, you know, the movie you saw about college may not be what your experience looks and feels like, but that if you're open to the fact that human connection still exists, if you're open to the fact that, you know, maybe some clubs or organizations won't exist, or maybe the class you wanted won't exist because it's, you know, a trickier one to, to do with some social distancing, or you have to make a reservation for the dining hall. Like, those are all things that if you can get past that, it's not what you thought it was going to be, or not what you hoped it was going to be. There's still really incredible ways that colleges are facilitating education, learning, connection, development, growth, pushing people out of their comfort zones and and letting them have those really sort of wonderful first year moments. And so I I think my hope is that folks, and I think probably our high school seniors right now have spent a lot of time, you know, in a place of magical thinking of being like, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. I'll get through it. You know, and and hopefully college will be normal. You know, it's going to be like, you haven't done it yet. Right. So, so don't load it with the expectations of what something else happens. And I think for those same students, you know, when some, when your older sibling or your parent or your teacher or your friend is like, oh, I feel so bad for you that you're not getting that normal experience. You have to shake that off because mm-hmm. that's their guilt. That's yeah. their sense of sympathy you're going to be awesome if you let yourself be awesome. And you're going to, and if you can lean into what your life is like, what it's going to look like, be thinking about it as an opportunity, not as I got handed this crappy deal. Right. Right. And this is why Emily is in admissions um, because (laughs) you are a light of sunshine. I think this is a really good point though, for the parents. Yeah. It's an, and we said this and we said this last spring too, when we were talking about commencements might not happen or they might be virtual and whatever, and pointed out like some of your students might not care that commencement's not happening because they might think commencement is boring and they might have only been going for you anyway. Yeah. And similarly, some of them might be way more ready for the fact that this is going to look different. I, I know some people in my own life who have high school seniors this year, and it has been very interesting to listen to them talk about what they think their student is missing out on. Yeah. And I'm not saying this to minimize or to say that the high school seniors in question have not missed out on things because they absolutely have. But I did, I have often thought to myself, like, what would the student say if I were like, Hey, your mom really thinks that you're super upset that blah, blah, blah didn't happen. And like, I just feel like some of them would be like, I don't actually care about that, but she's super uptight about it. (laughs) It's a little different scenario, but like, I have a 14 year old daughter. She's in middle school, eighth grade. And she's been doing great online. And it's, and when I said to her, I said, do you feel like you miss anything? She goes, the drama at school, <laughs> like, like literally looks at me like, ma, you know, what happens in middle school, middle school and, is the worst time of your life. It's the worst time, of your, whatever. <laughs> it's and, like, it's harder that, for the mean girls to find me. Exactly. Yeah, and, and it's like, 
so so in some ways as they're like oh we're gonna bring kids back to school full-time in person i'm like does she want to you know i mean but at this but as we look at all of this and and one of the things you brought up emily kind of jogged in my head I remember having that conversation as a senior in high school with my father as we were driving around and looking at different colleges and universities. And honestly, the, the only reason I visited Colgate University, which is a fabulous school, I am not going to say it's a bad school. I, it's a beautiful school, lovely. My dad went to Colgate and he loved Colgate and he just wanted me to go to Colgate and I got rejected. I didn't get into Colgate. And I said, dad, there's a reason I didn't get into Colgate. One, my SATs were like, horrific. And also you graduated second to last in your class. And so they didn't want to look at this and say, okay, we, and when my father graduated from Colgate university at the time in the early sixties, they would line them. And it was an all male school at the time. They Mm -hmm. lined the men up in order of GPA at commencement. And he was (gasps) second to last (laughs) Okay. That's like, and I, and I turned to him and I said, dad, the reason I didn't get into Colgate is you because they didn't want to take <laughs> another risk on, on one of us. Okay. But is it, oh, it's it, your, it, and, and is it your alma mater? Emily? It I, could t- yeah. I was like, oh my face. God. So there she you go. She went to Colgate. <laughs> Colgate it is alums. not for, it, and, and it is also like, I, the number of people, my like dearest mentor said he drove up and turned around yeah <laughs> and get out of the car Hamilton like, New York is a special place it is a special place oh, that's hilarious but, <laughs> but I bring this up not just to berate my father and to go to do that but is that he always said Colgate was the best four years of his life and we heard that from our uh, those of us who have parents of a certain age we all heard mm-hmm. college was the best four years of our life If I look back at my four years as an undergrad, I am not going to tell you those were the best four years of my life. Okay. They were a specific experience of my life that I am so glad I had. And I had the privilege and opportunity to have that, but how college and the experience of college has changed between 1945 (sighs) up until now is a very different thing. And we, as parents, and the parents listening to this can't just assume that this is, you know, you got to get out of that dance mom's mentality when you're sending your kid off to college. Totally. This is not your college experience. This is not your college experience. And for the students in the back seat, are college kids still in the back seat? Maybe <laughs> um, they're not in the passenger seat. Sorry, my kid is way too little to be in the front seat. For college kids, if you're in the car with mom or dad or whoever, college may not be the best four years of your life and that's okay. There's a lot after college that's great also. (laughs) So that's your takeaway. Like I I will say- Never believe anyone who tells you anything is the best years of your life because yikes. It's- (laughs) And and if you look at anything like is the best four years or two years or one year of your life, I think we can all decide that this last year was probably not the best year of any of our lives, but who knows? There may be someone out there who's thriving right now, who's listening to this and saying, you know what? I kicked my deadbeat spouse out. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I opened my own business. I am doing, I met this woman. She got a divorce this past year and you know what? She's doing Zoom mitzvahs. Okay. She's doing bar mitzvahs on zoom and she's making more money than she's ever made in her life. And I said, well, go, you go girl. So she's driving right now. Okay. (laughs) She's killing it. She's killing the game on zoom. So there you go. (laughs) So don't listen to people. You do you. And Emily, (laughs) 
I got to tell you, you are a treat. I like you very much. <laughs> um, right. I want to say thank you to Emily for being here and taking some time to talk with us today. We are fortunate to have you here and chatting with us and, and our nutty selves here. It has been fun. Yay. This is a good time. Thank you. So much and fun. Yeah. So thank you to everybody for joining us. If you enjoyed this and want more, check out all of season one. It's there wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to an XL. So you don't miss any of our new episodes that are coming down the pike. Please remember to rate and review the show. Visit pod617.com slash twinxl for sponsorship info and other stuff, or just be a listener because we love our listeners. And as always, TwinXL is a production of Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts. And big thank you to our producer, Dave Yaz. Thank you, Dave. Dave. As usual, it is my pleasure. (laughs) Sort of. Most of the time. (laughs) Is it the best four years of your life, Dave? (laughs) Yes. Six years of producing Twin XL down the drain. No, just kidding. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I don't know. Um...